my friends. Welcome to Be Form Season 7, Week 4. The Eucharist is Communion. So let's begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this day. Thank you for the gift of life, the gift of your Son, Jesus, and the gift of the Eucharist. Help us to be men and women of communion. We know that the enemy is always trying to divide and conquer May we be instruments of unity, of peace. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So a little review of the first three weeks of this season. So we're, we're going through Ecclesia de Eucharistia, the 2003 encyclical by St. John Paul II on the Eucharist. It was his last encyclical. And... Um, the first week we went through the Eucharist mystery of faith. Week two, the Eucharist builds the church. Week three, last week with Bishop Conley, the Eucharist is apostolic. And now we're going to look at the Eucharist is communion. Uh, this is going to be paragraphs 34 to 46. You can find this document online, Ecclesia de Eucharistia, by St. John Paul II. So Vatican II emphasize the nature of the church as communion. If we study ecclesiology, which is the study of the nature and structure of the church, we had a whole uh, semester class on this in the seminary. Um, Vatican II views the church as the instrument of safeguarding and fostering two specific things, our communion with God and our communion with one another as members of the church. So this vertical and horizontal communion. And if you think about it, everything that Jesus does is to bring us into, into communion. And this is where healing takes place. If we go back to the beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve, they were created in perfect communion with God in the garden. Through the fall, through original sin, they were separated from God. They hid, you know, from one another and from God. And we see that the devil's goal is to divide and conquer. Jesus' goal is to unify. And we have to realize, though, that even in our own lives, we, you know, our, our hearts are divided. We know that we have this tendency towards sin. We have some deep wounds, maybe. But trust and believe that communion with God is deeper than the rupture of sin. So healing takes place when we find communion and union with God. And I'm not just saying communion uh, and receiving Holy Communion, even though that's probably the best way to do it, but it's communion with God throughout the day. If we look at the history of Israel, they had the 12 tribes of Israel. They were scattered. Jesus chooses 12 disciples to gather the nations back together. He prays in his great priestly prayer, Father, I pray that they may be one. So Jesus is always trying to unify. If we look at the story of the, the hemorrhaging woman in Scripture, you know, she, because she had been bleeding for 12 years, now imagine what that must have been like. She was considered unclean. She could not worship in the temple. And if she touched anyone, they were defiled. She was separated from the community. And Jesus, through his healing power, he heals her because he brings her back into communion. She could now worship with her community. She could now, you know, rub elbows, so to speak, with, 
with her family and friends. He's always trying to bring us back into one. So always look in your lives. Where is their division? And know that the enemy is involved in trying to divide. Where is their union, harmony, communion? There is God. There is the Holy Spirit. So Jesus brings her back into communion, into the community. And healing in our lives, we always say God's love heals. The more we seek union with God, the more that we allow God to love us, that union with God goes so deep within us that it can heal any rupture of sin or any wounds that we have. So thus, one of the most common names that we give the Eucharist is Holy Communion, that sense of bringing together us and God and to bring together the, the uh, members of the church. So St. John Paul II devotes the fourth chapter of this encyclical to the z- discussion of the Eucharist as communion with God and communion with, with and among the faithful of the church. So this first part is going to be about desire of the Holy Eucharist. How much do you desire communion? We've talked about before, if the Eucharist actually is the body and blood of Jesus, and it is, how much do we desire it? What sacrifices are we willing to make to go there? I know in my B-form group, some of the men are talking about like, wow, I, I've never gone to daily Mass, and the privilege of that to be able to be in communion with God every day through the Eucharist is amazing. And one of the ways that we talk about Mass is it's the great marriage feast. And so, you know, in, in marriage, the two shall become one flesh. And through Holy Communion, God actually, you know, God's within us. His Holy Spirit is within us through baptism. And in the Eucharist, you know, we are one with God in a very, very special way, a very intimate way, much like uh, a marriage feast. So if this is Jesus, and it is, there should be nothing greater for us, nothing more important for us than the Eucharist. Do I build my day around the Eucharist? Do I find time? And, you know, there are places in the world where Mass is not readily available. But I know in this area, gosh, there's Masses at 6.15, 7 a.m., 7.30, 8, 8.30, 8.45, 11.30, 5 p.m., Monday through Friday. And so if we really desire the Eucharist, we can make time. And I not, not only want to challenge you, I want to encourage you, if you don't go to daily Mass already, try going to one more Mass than you normally do. Obviously, Sunday is that Sunday obligation. That's, that's the Lord's Day that we, we should go. And it's sinful if we don't go. It's not sinful if we don't go to daily Mass, but it's such a privilege and an honor to be able to do so. So seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added unto you. I love this quote from uh, St. John Paul II. The measure of the depth of our faith is naturally the strength of our desire to receive Holy Communion. I'll repeat that. The measure of the depth of our faith is naturally the strength of our desire to receive Holy Communion. So what he's saying is, in the measure that we desire Holy Communion, it shows the depth of our faith, especially in the Eucharist. If I believe it's just a symbol, then it doesn't mean anything to me. Um, I, I shouldn't say that. It doesn't mean that much 
But if I believe that's Jesus, if that's where my faith is, I'm going to do everything I can to get there every day if I so choose. A common question that I get is, you know, can I receive communion two or three times a day? So there was a time in the church when people thought, well, if I receive communion once, is, if, that, if once is good, then 20 times is better, and they would bounce around from Mass to Mass. So the church says, you know, if you receive once a day, that's good. Now, if there are different occasions, let's say it's a Saturday, you go to 8 o'clock morning Mass is one thing. You go to a wedding in the afternoon, that's a different occasion. And then you go to the vigil Mass uh, Saturday evening. That's, those are three different occasions. It's permissible to receive communion on those three occasions. But if I go to three different Sunday Masses at three different churches, we should only receive communion one time. I know that if you receive, and I know in our area, they're starting to bring back uh, Holy Communion, the precious blood uh, in some churches. And, uh, and so know that if you receive a particle of the consecrated host or a drop of the blood of Christ, you've received Jesus fully. So in all of these times during the pandemic where you can just receive the host, you are receiving body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. The fullness of, of uh, the Eucharist comes with both species. He goes on to talk about spiritual communion, that we should cultivate within our hearts this union, communion with the Lord. During this pandemic, this became much more uh, it came to the forefront because there was a time when our churches were closed. And I'm praying that we never experience that again. But it created a desire, I know, in a lot of people for Holy Communion. And there are places, as I mentioned, around the world where Mass is not readily available. And so the church says you can, you can make a spiritual communion. Or let's say if you're in a state of, of mortal sin and you can't go to communion, still go to Mass don't not go to Mass because you're in sin and you haven't gone to confession. Go to Mass, hear the Word of God, listen to the homily, and then make a spiritual communion. And, and this is what it is. St. Teresa of Jesus, Teresa of Avila, says in her uh, famous book, The Way of Perfection, says, when you do not receive communion and you do not attend Mass, you can make a spiritual communion, which is a most beneficial practice. By it, the love of God will be greatly impressed on you. So again, I encourage you, especially in this area, go to daily Mass if you can. It, it, will, it will change your life. Then the Pope goes, to talk, goes on to talk about an invisible and visible dimension of communion uh, that we have. So the, let's start with the invisible dimension. This is the life of grace. This is something that we can't see, but there's something very active in this, that when we receive Holy Communion, God's grace is actively working in our lives to help us grow in, in virtue, in faith, hope, and love, and the other virtues. He's trying to make us more like him. You know, my mother would always say, you become what you eat. And that was not a good thing when I ate a lot of ice cream. <laughs> um, but think about that. When we consume Jesus in the Eucharist, the goal is transformation. The goal is that, that communion with the Lord uh, heals and makes us more like him. It helps us to grow in virtue. And we see in this how the sacraments of Eucharist and penance, there's different names for penance, reconciliation, confession, how these two go together. The more that we receive Holy Communion, 
the more we start to realize our sinfulness. And, you know, the church teaches that when we are in serious sin, so if we're in mortal sin, what should we do? And what, what is mortal sin? There's three criteria for a mortal sin, mortal meaning deadly, and this comes from Scripture. So you know it's wrong, so your intellect is engaged, you do it anyway, your will is engaged, and it's serious matter. So this is something that is serious. So for example, murder, of course, is if I do it with my intellect and will engage, it's always serious matter, it's always going to be a mortal sin. If I take a pencil from work, Maybe I know it's wrong, I do it anyway, but it's not serious matter. It's still sinful. We call that a venial sin or smaller sin. Scripture talks about there are sins that are deadly, that separate us from God, and there are other sins that don't. So when we are in mortal sin, we should go to confession before we receive communion. Last week, Bishop Conley talked about it's dishonest for us to receive communion in certain places. So if we go to a non-Catholic church, and receive a church that's not in communion with Rome, we should not receive communion because, remember, the Eucharist is the greatest sign that I am in union with God and I'm in union with my brothers and sisters. And so if, I'm, if we're not in union, if we don't believe the same thing, then he says it's dishonest to receive Holy Communion. Also, Scripture says, you know, uh, if we receive Holy Communion, if we receive the Eucharist unworthily, then we bring condemnation on ourselves. In other words, if we're in a state of mortal sin, we're not in union or communion with God. And so receiving the Eucharist is, is not, uh, not good at that time. And I know this is common in our country. You know, here when I celebrate Mass, everybody comes to communion, and I'm sure we're not all in a state of grace. Um, but I think we're, we're self-conscious about you know, what are they going to think? So that's why you can come up and receive a blessing like this. You know, it's, you're Catholic, but you're not disposed to receive communion. Do this and we'll give you a blessing. Or you can just remain in your pew and, and pray and go to confession at, at your next opportunity. Um, when I go to Mexico or Latin America, it's interesting, maybe half or less of the people go to communion because they recognize this, that you know, I am not in communion, and so I would be dishonest by receiving Holy Communion. I'm dishonest with God and with my brothers and sisters. Scripture says if you approach the altar, you realize you have a problem with your brother, leave your gift there, go reconcile with your brother, and then come back. And so reconciliation horizontally with others and with God is important before receiving communion. What I don't want you to do is to get scrupulous and to think that everything's a mortal sin. Uh, but, but think about this. Do I know it's wrong? Is my will fully engaged? And uh, is it serious matter? That would require confession. So the, the strong connection between confession and the Eucharist. John Paul II also talks about the case of, of public scandal. And we've had this, you know, uh, in our country where Someone, he says, and I quote, seriously, clearly, and steadfastly acts contrary to the moral norm. These people should not receive Holy Communion um, because it would cause a scandal. So they're, they're saying they're in communion with God and one another. Now, none of us is perfect. I want to make this clear. We don't have to be perfect to receive communion, uh, but we all need to act according to our conscience. 
And uh, but as you know, bishops and priests, if someone is is publicly, seriously, clearly, and steadfastly acting contrary to the moral norm, they should not receive Holy Communion because again, it's it's dishonest and it causes a scandal. The visible dimension of Holy Communion says there's there's three things that should be in place for someone to be in communion. Uh, they believe the doctrine of the faith. Uh, they believe in the sacraments, and they are in union with church governance, with the bishops and, and, and the Holy Father. So it says, reception of the body of Christ is a manifestation of the fullness of communion in the church. Thus it demands these visible bonds of communion with the church. So it's never permitted to give Holy Communion to someone who dissents from the truth of the faith regarding the Holy Eucharist. So if somebody says, I don't believe that that is Jesus uh, steadfastly. They shouldn't receive communion. Also, somebody who is not baptized should not receive Holy Communion. That person who's not baptized who wants to be Catholic goes through what's called the catechumenate. They are a a catechumen, someone who's not baptized. Once they are baptized, then they are uh, welcome to uh, receive Holy Communion. So we need to have belief in the in the, the teaching of the church, the belief in the sacraments, and also in union with church governance. The local bishop is the visible principle and the foundation of unity within his particular church. For example, I am in the Diocese of Joliet. Bishop Hicks is the visible principle and foundation of unity in our diocese. Pope Francis is the visible it says, perpetual and visible source and foundation of the unity of the bishops and of the multitude of the faithful, the 1.2 billion Catholics in the world. He says it's contradictory to celebrate the Eucharist when communion with the bishop and or the pope is lacking. This does not mean small disagreements, but if I objectively and steadfastly say, you know, the pope is, is completely wrong and as, as a priest... You know, I cannot celebrate the Eucharist because I am I'm going against, you know, the the unity of either my bishop or the Holy Father. The next area is fostering communion. We are all responsible to foster communion in this respect. It says participation in the Holy Eucharist, when sincere, causes us to examine anything that separates us from one another and to seek reconciliation. So Holy Communion fosters harmony among the members of the body of Christ. This is why, this is one of the reasons why Sunday obligation to Mass is so important that we need as the body of Christ to come together regularly because when we pray together, when we receive Holy Communion together, it forms this bond of unity among the members of the church. And, um, and through this unity, we learn to overcome what separates us. We learn to love those who may not be just like us. As a pastor of a parish with 2,500 families, I have people across the whole spectrum, spiritually, uh, and ecclesiologically, um, you know, politically, but I'm called to love everyone, and we're all called to love one another as brothers and sisters, uh, even with our, our, our differences. And so we have... We each have a responsibility and role in fostering communion in the church. And with this, he says, we must show 
uh, all show special care for the Eucharist, special care. This is Jesus, and Jesus wants to, as he prayed, he prays that we all might be one, even despite our, our differences. You know, there's no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free man, white or black, male or female. We are, we are one in Christ. And he says, pastors have a special responsibility to foster frequent and fruitful access to the Eucharist and abide by the norms and conditions when communion may not be given. One of, uh, one of the cases for us that is of special concern is our weddings and funerals, where a lot of people who are not Catholic attend weddings and funerals. And I know this can be controversial, and people say, why are you being elitist, or why do you separate people? Again, we, we talk about the Eucharist being this sign of unity with God and one, with one another. We have to recognize that we still have differences among the Christian faithful. And we can't downplay those, or, and this, this is coming from St. John Paul II. We can't say that these differences don't exist. And so we say that you can remain in your pews and pray for unity. You may come up and receive a blessing. But those who, you know, aren't Catholic or even Catholics who, you know, have mortal sin should not be receiving communion. This is not meant to be better than, holier than. It's just meant to say, to realize what a beautiful sign of unity the Eucharist is. And for all of us to act according to our consciences, to go to confession when we need to go to confession. And so another important thing here is that we should not be sitting in our pews judging everybody. I know, I know this happens, <laughs> um, but we should be praying. We should be praying for ourselves, for our own holiness, praying for unity among our, the members of our community, members of the Universal Church and those members who are not in uni union with the Catholic Church as well. Again, not an easy thing, but it's, it's an important thing, uh, and it comes right from Scripture. He finishes with this, which is interesting. There are special circumstances in which uh, you can administer the sacraments of the Eucharist, penance or confession, and anointing of the sick, to those who are not in full communion with the Catholic Church. You may have never heard of this, but there's actually uh, four conditions that need to be met for someone who is not Catholic to receive these sacraments. First, they cannot approach their own minister. So their own minister, and the purpose behind this is our ultimate good, the ultimate purpose of the church is the salvation of all. And so if somebody is in serious or grave matter, a serious or grave condition for their salvation, we can act. And so the person cannot go to their own minister. They seek the sacraments honestly. They manifest Catholic faith in the sacraments, and they're properly disposed. And so, you know, let's say, let's say I come across a, a car accident and somebody's dying. You know, if, if they're not Catholic, uh, they cannot approach their own minister at that moment. Um, we may, we may ask them, do you seek the sacrament of the anointing of the sick if they're, if they're able to? Um, they're properly disposed. It's possible in this case to offer the sacrament and then entrust them to God. That's an extreme example. Um, in most cases in, in our first world countries, people can approach their own ministers um, and they can work out their salvation that way. But there are circumstances where this is allowed and uh, you can find this if you want to study further. Canon Law, 
uh, paragraph 844 talks about these conditions. Um, and there are also conditions similarly where Catholics can receive uh, sacraments from ministers and churches in, in which the sacraments are valid. Um, and so that's a whole other topic that I won't get into today. So we've talked about a lot the Eucharist as the great sign of communion with God and with one another. There are some pastorally difficult situations in this, but because we believe in the beauty of the Eucharist, that it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity, that it is this sign of unity, there are times when, when we as Catholics should not receive communion if we're not properly disposed, and people who are not in union with the Catholic Church should not receive also, but are still welcome to celebrate together, to pray together for, for Christian unity. This week, uh, the Lectio Divina is Matthew chapter 5, uh, Sermon on the Mount, verses 23 to 24. I'll just read them really quick. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, I mentioned this already, and there recall that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there at the altar, go first and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Pray about that as you think about how well am I properly disposed to go to communion? And is it okay for me just to receive a blessing today? Um, let's not worry about what everybody else thinks. Let us think, remember, focus on my relationship with God and my relationship with one another. I'm not judging other people, but I'm acting according to my, my own conscience. And so let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your Son, Jesus, and the gift of the Eucharist. Help us to recognize the Eucharist as communion with you and with our brothers and sisters. And help us always to seek transformation and healing through communion with you. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. A couple of quick announcements. Uh, our next large group meeting will be October 6th. It's going to be a Mass at St. Michael's in Wheaton for the deacon candidates, those who are going to become permanent deacons in a couple years. We'll get more information out to you. It will be live streamed for those who are not in the area. Next week, we're going to go over Chapter 5, The Dignity of the Eucharistic Celebration. And remember, be formed is not meant to overwhelm you. It's just to help you take one step closer to Christ. Check in and encourage and challenge your, your prayer partners Go to your small groups. Just, just listen and let's build community. Remember, the Eucharist is communion. And uh, let us help one another take one step closer to Christ on this journey. God bless you and buen camino.